Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode 137. My guest in this episode is Shannon Watts and this is a really exceptional episode. This is a wonderful opportunity to have spoken with the founder of one of the largest grassroots organizations in our nation's history, Moms Demand Action. She is a pivotal leader in the work to reduce gun violence in America and having the opportunity to speak with her about the journey that she's been on, her organization has been on, tangling with the NRA and building this incredible movement that is helping to drive change that will save American lives is just incredibly powerful. It was an honor to speak with her and to learn from her. Before we get to the episode, I do want to invite all of you, please take a look at the website for Explore the Space, www.explorethespaceshow.com. We have a rich archive of content around gun violence as well with leaders like Joe Sacron, Mary Brandt, Megan Ranney. Please look through the archive to find those episodes. They are exceptional. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show. There will be a link there as well that will have a thread of all of the gun violence related content that we've created. You can find me on Instagram as well at Explore the Space Show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. And Explore the Space is available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. You can find us on all of them. Please subscribe. And if you have a few seconds to leave us a rating and a review, that is always much appreciated. Speaking with Shannon Watts was very special. This was memorable for me. I think it's going to be memorable for you to have the opportunity to listen to her and to learn and to think about how this dialogue and this discussion fits in to your life and how we want to try to drive towards change. So without further ado, Shannon Watts. Shannon, welcome to Explore the Space. This is a real honor. I'm I'm really excited to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I have been active on social media for maybe a year or so, and I have been paying attention more and more to the issues around gun violence, particularly around the This Is Our Lane movement where physicians around the United States kind of felt a call to action to start to speak up. And that's when I really began to learn more about you, learn more about Moms Demand Action. If I'm learning about you from a year ago, I feel like you've been you've been out doing press. You've been very forward-facing for a long time. Where in this journey are you? Are you kind of at the apex now, or do you also kind of like I feel, feel like you're just getting started on this work? <laughs> it's a great question. And and I'm not sure because ah, okay. all of, you know, it, it's so dependent on electoral wins and what happens in each election cycle. And there's so many times along the way I thought, okay, we're going to be playing defense now for a really long time. And then in certain state legislatures, you see the hearts and minds of lawmakers changing. Um, and, and even at the federal level, so much is in flux all the time. So I think in terms of our organization and what we've accomplished, I'm hoping this is just getting started, but it's nothing short of miraculous given we've only been around six and a half years. You know, when I look back, the gains that we've made, and, and it's a story that doesn't get told very often because people think, well, there hasn't been this cathartic moment in Congress, so nothing is happening. But in fact, where we're making all the, the gains and, and the wins in state houses and in boardrooms is how social issues are won in this country. And, and it's been really remarkable. 
that's an issue that I feel like you, among many, do a really nice job of helping educate people on. That helped reframe my thinking. When we're looking at the the chalkboard where you're tabulating, you know, victories, kind of a neutral, unknown status, or somewhere where you didn't get the results you wanted, I what I hear from you over and over again is you're not focusing on the federal level. You're focusing all the way down city councils, state legislatures, very granular local politics. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there, there are places we can play defense and there are places yeah. we can play offense. And certainly we play defense in state houses. We have a track record of killing about 90% of the NRA's bad bills, like arming teachers, guns on college campuses, stand your ground laws. Um, but there are also places where we can play offense. And we have in just the last six and a half years, Close the background check loophole now in 2021 20, states. We've passed red flag laws in 17. We've disarmed domestic abusers in 28. Um, and, and at the federal level, I'm so confident that very soon we will have stronger laws. But in the meantime, we're playing defense. You know, when the NRA gave Donald Trump $30 million for his campaign, they should have been able to turn right around with a Republican president and a Republican Congress and pass there are priority pieces of legislation, something called concealed carry reciprocity and deregulating silencers. And we've gotten so good at playing defense that they failed on both counts. That's remarkable stuff. And over the course of my lifetime, that I would suggest that that's unprecedented. I, you know, I, I think that, again, people want this cathartic moment in Congress where suddenly yeah. they're moved by something that happened or... They do the, the bidding of their constituents instead of the gun lobby. And when I look back, what I realize is that that doesn't happen unless there's a political movement. It really required a grassroots presence that we now have in every single state, this army of badass women, you know, fighting every single day and, and beating them back on, on every front. And we finally have that. And, and that's why the NRA is weaker than they've ever been going into 2020, and the gun violence prevention movement is stronger than it's ever been. There's a couple of things that I want to get into in terms of what is driving that measurable success and what is driving that movement. And I might suggest that one of them has been your and your entire movement's ability to reframe arguments. And when I, the, the cornerstone of that, I would suggest, is you guys, you all do not get intimidated. I, I've, <laughs> I've watched the Katie Couric special where she interviewed you. I've watched a whole variety of things. Just last week, there was a Moms Demand Action rally in Virginia, and there were men armed to the teeth with you know high-capacity magazines, AR-15, standing there filming them. Nobody bats an eyelid. Walk me through that mentality that you all have f instilled in yourselves grown, supported, it's ironclad. Yeah, you know, I think it's a combination of things. First of all, the Sandy Hook school shooting that moved so many women and mothers in America to rise up and to get off the sidelines and to be willing to go to toe with the gun lobby um, really stems from the fact that if we lose our children, we have nothing left to lose. And I, I really felt intuitively that moms were the yin to the gun lobby's yang, that they had made this vocal minority afraid their guns would be taken away. And for a long time, we've been the silent majority. The vast majority of Americans support stronger gun laws in this country, but it was 
considered to be too polarizing of an issue to get involved in. And that, that includes Republicans and Democrats alike. But I, the, the, the trolling, the threats online and offline, as you mentioned, in person, where people are always showing up open carrying at our events, that's all meant to intimidate and to silence us. And, and that's just not going to ever happen again. We will not continue to allow the gun lobby to write our gun laws. It's, I smile when I hear you say that because it's, it's a level of conviction that I am seeing my profession start to grow into. I think that physicians have oftentimes felt very uncertain about raising their voice. There's one physician who's really led that work, Mona Hanna Atisha, who exposed the lead contamination in water in Flint, Michigan. And I had the, the honor of having her on this podcast. And she said, you know, physicians carry a megaphone, they have an obligation to use it. And we're learning that. And it's because of people like you, who won't be intimidated, won't back down, but also stay on message, you don't get in the dirt. And is that is that an intentional part of your work that you'll you'll absorb the punches that they throw and keep moving. But I don't feel like you and your team get down in the dirt with that same sort of response back. No, never. We will not engage in ad hominem attacks and, and misinformation and all the things that the NRA has become infamous for in the last decade or so. Um, we do stand message. I think in, in part, you know, I, I started Monster in Action as a former communications executive. Um, I cut my teeth at, at companies like General Electric, where I learned how to create a message and a brand and tell a story. And we're a nonpartisan organization. Uh, we want all lawmakers to support this issue. And, and the best way to get people on your side, and, and, and again, most people are on our side, but the best way to get them to be vocal, as you mentioned, the medical profession has become so out front on this issue, is, is by using data and research and not, not just emotion and anecdotes, which is what the gun lobby relies on. That's why I think physician alignment with what you're doing is so important because that's how we do our work. We don't advance the health and physical sciences based on what we perceive and based on emotion. We have to study it. That has also been a major limitation. The CDC doesn't get federal funding. There's a whole host of reasons. However, we also know that we can commit to practical applications of things that will keep people safe. And I think that's a good way to, as you say, draw everybody in. It's, it's hard to argue against a commitment to public safety and it's becoming easier and easier to overturn some of these straw man arguments or kind of false dichotomies that are created around guns and gun violence and how to reduce it. Would you say that that's sort of a fair statement in terms of kind of opening up the, the party, opening up what you're creating to make it a welcoming place for anybody who wants to come aboard? Yeah, I mean, we are we have become the mothers of against drunk driving, of gun safety. In fact, we're yeah. about five times larger than MAD ever was. Wow. And I think that's because we do open the door for not just moms, we're mothers and others now. And um, there's so many important roles and people that come into our coalition when we go into, for example, state houses. Uh, it's so important to have the medical community as part of our coalition and police officers and educators and other people um, with insight and information and data and research that shows lawmakers that they either need to stand in the way of, of bad gun lobby bills or that they need to move forward and support good bills that will save lives. 
One of the false dichotomies from my perception, and I'm really interested to get your perspective on this, has been that support of guns in the United States or not supporting guns in the United States boils down to two things. It boils down to political affiliation and it boils down to we are trying to revoke the Second Amendment versus not. I would suggest that neither of those are actual representations of reality. And I would add to that that I, the the central dogma of the, what you're doing and I think what makes it so successful, what draws me to what you're doing, is that neither of those things apply. That's right. Uh, the NRA has had a 30-year head start to share misinformation and propaganda and to convince this vocal minority that their gun rights are going to be taken away, that any kind of law that would uh, regulate gun ownership is a slippery slope to confiscation, that anyone who supports gun safety is anti-gun, um, and that this is polarizing, right? That it's Republicans versus Democrats. We know none of those things are true. Yeah. Moms to Men Action supports the Second Amendment. Many of our volunteers are gun owners or they're married to gun owners. Uh, this is really just about restoring the responsibilities that go along with gun rights. And the reason the NRA doesn't support any effort to do that is because it would possibly encroach on gun sales. But when you look at polling data, 90% of Americans support stronger gun laws, 80% of gun owners, only one in 10 of whom belong to the NRA, and 74% of NRA members. This is not polarizing. This is about an extreme gun lobby leadership that has convinced some lawmakers to do the bidding of, of gun lobbyists instead of their constituents. And, and we, our job is to undo that stranglehold finger by finger. And that's going to take several election cycles. You mentioned earlier in our conversation that the NRA is at its weakest point, And there have been headlines around issues with their leadership. And I don't want to get into all of that, but it's easy to find if you look online. Aside from the NRA, aside from the National Rifle Association, are there other entities that you feel like are significant barriers to progress in making the gun culture in the United States one that is safer? Well, people always say to me, why don't we just have one big gun violence prevention organization to go against the NRA? And the reason we have more than one is because we all serve a different purpose and also because there isn't just one gun lobby. When you look at states, each of them has a similar organization to the NRA that is specific to their state, but it's almost always to the right of the NRA. So much like the Tea Party pulled Republicans to the right, these organizations, and where I live, they're called the Rocky Mountain Gun Owners, they believe any law at all is an infringement on the Second Amendment. And so the NRA has not been able to moderate and to come to the middle because these groups keep pulling them uh, to, to the right. And that's why this work that we're doing to have dozens or hundreds of Moms to Me in Action volunteers in red shirts showing up at every single gun bill hearing has been so incredibly important because these were the groups that have been writing our state laws for so long. Um, and there's certainly a barrier. The other barrier uh, are lawmakers who still believe that, that being beholden to the NRA will somehow benefit them politically. It takes a while to chip away at that. But if you look at polling, the NRA is underwater reputationally for the first time in 20 years. They're under investigation for their ties to Russia, for misspending their members' dollars, and, and even their nonprofit status is in jeopardy. 
So all of this has really made the NRA's agenda toxic. And it's why in 2018, the NRA took its infamous grading system down, um, where they give lawmakers and candidates A through F ratings. They knew that that had become a scarlet letter instead of a badge of honor. And thankfully, we had saved all that data and just put it right back up. <laughs> right. These screenshots live forever. It's not like you can take yes. it down and it's just gone. That's right. So as we're moving into an election cycle and you're doing this state level work, you're doing this community level work, district level work, it's going to the spotlight is going to move. We're going to move into the 2020 presidential election cycle. There's going to be not there's going to be nominating conventions. Are you hopeful that Moms Demand Action and you get the opportunity to potentially speak and be part of a platform committee at one of the national conventions? Uh, that would be fantastic. You know, we are getting certainly, certainly the 2020 election is much different than some of the first elections we worked on in yeah. the early years when, you know, lawmakers really didn't want to talk about this issue on both sides of the aisle. Now, um, and, and I think in large part to the work that Moms Demand Action volunteers have done, not only are the candidates at the presidential level clamoring to, to see who can be the best on this, but but lawmakers and candidates across the country. We have something called uh, a gun sense candidate distinction. And we started giving them out in 2018 thinking, okay, we'll give out a couple hundred. But because of our army of volunteers, they gave them out all over the country and we gave out over 3,000. And we're just starting that program again now um, for elections in 2019, very important election like in the state of Virginia, but also for the presidential candidates and in federal and state elections. So we are seeing now that Candidates are mirroring our messaging around this issue and are making it a priority in their policy platforms. It's it's exciting and the evolution is so unique. It's so different. I haven't experienced anything like it before. It's going to be an amazing evolution. If you had the opportunity to speak at one of the national conventions, do you have a preference? Would you prefer to speak at either the Republican committee, the Republican convention or the Democratic convention? Oh, that is an, a great and interesting question. I think it's important to not just speak and preach to the choir. I mean, I, I think Republicans should be looking at the polling on this issue. And we are seeing more and more Republicans coming to the middle and, and having these discussions. Um, if you look at Pat Toomey, he's a Republican in the U.S. Senate. He said that if H.R. 8, the background checks bill that the House passed, could get a vote vote in the Senate, it would pass with more than 60 votes. Lindsey Graham recently said that the Second Amendment is not a suicide pact. And we're seeing Republicans on the House side break with the NRA over and over again. So I would love to, I think, speak to another audience, which is Republicans to say, you know, if you do the right thing, we'll have your back. But if you do the wrong thing, we'll have your job. I could see you in both. I could see you at the Democratic one, and it would be rousing applause and clapping. I could see you at the Republican one, and it's harder to anticipate the response, but I think that the latter one would be more impactful. I think that having you up there with the – I've heard you speak. I've heard you speak live. I've watched you speak on YouTube. That would be that would be compelling. Well, I, and I will say the only Republican so far to primary the president, Bill Weld, supports stronger gun laws. Yeah, so this yeah. is the future of the Republican Party, whether they know it or not. 
you are also very good at what you just said, which is not always speaking to the choir. You, you do come and speak to crowds that want to hear you and they know you and they're familiar with your work. You're very good at getting out of that and speaking to, to people on social media, live, in print, all the different platforms we have who may be uncertain, may be intimidated, may be frightened, or may not agree with you. What are the steps and the tools that you use? Because this is something that I'm working on and I'm trying to get better at myself. What are those levers and tools that you pull to make sure that your message is not just constantly landing on the same ears? You say, yep, Shannon's great, but land on some ears that are like, I don't know about Shannon Watts. I don't know about Mom's Demand Action, but at least I'm curious and I want to hear. I'm willing to hear. Well, you know, there are two different things to look at. One is that we don't need to convince the vocal minority. We don't need to convince gun extremists to be on our side because, you know, that's a a small number of Americans who have bought into all the rhetoric of the NRA. We need to get the vast majority of Americans to use their voices and their votes on this issue, which they haven't. However, if you saw the poll from CNN last month, this is the third most important issue for Democratic voters going into 2020, which is a sea change. But the other piece of it is that you know, I'm a middle-aged white woman. There aren't that many media pundits, politicians who are super interested in in having those discussions and and being aligned with middle-aged women who are essentially invisible in our society. Um, and I'm a white woman, so I imagine it's much worse for women of color that are that are middle-aged. And all along the way, you know, we have not been given a platform uh, as much as we see our male counterparts um, on on major television shows and on late night shows and in print media. And we really had to be scrappy and fight to bypass those gatekeepers so that we can tell the story of middle-aged women who are doing amazing things in states like Kansas and Arkansas that, that otherwise would not be spotlighted. So social media has been an incredibly important platform for that. Um, and certainly social edge media is uh, social media is a double-edged sword because so often it's used for trolls and threats um, or even, you know, disagreements and arguments with the, the extreme right wing. But you know, something I find really interesting is that when you look at these people who are sort of never, never Trump, like Rick Wilson or Essie Cup, who were very strongly aligned with the NRA and who have criticized groups like Moms to in Action, suddenly they're silent. And it's important to keep asking them to take a stand on this issue and to explain their silence. Essie Cup made an ad for the NRA saying, I'm an NRA mom, and is very vocal about her gun rights positions on her platform of CNN. And suddenly she's silent when the NRA is under investigation and when they're losing. And it's, it's a social media is a way to keep that conversation going and, and to keep asking people to explain their position. You're really good at something as I'm listening to you speak. And I'm curious if this is intentional or not. You're, you're obviously your memory and your recall for these facts is impeccable. You are really good at remembering specific individuals <laughs> and calling them, calling them to task, not calling them out, calling them to task. There's a difference. Is this intentional? You, you are, you do this on social media too. It's, it's much more biting when it's a proper noun than when it's a common noun. Is this, what, 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 where does this come from? And is this intentional or is this just something that came naturally to you? 
Well, again, I have a background in communication, yes. so I, I know how to tell a story. I do <laughs> seem to have an uncanny ability to have receipts uh, for everything everyone says. <laughs> That's um, a great way to put it. Legit, husband, you have receipts for everything everyone said. Yeah, much to my husband's dismay, right? Um, <laughs> but I do think so often what happens because we have such a fast-paced world of information is that people say things or take positions or or do things that they need to be held accountable for, especially if they're spreading misinformation. There's nothing that makes me angrier than seeing a mainstream media um, act as though John Lott, who is a gun lobby researcher, has any credibility whatsoever. You know, every time they allow him to write an op-ed or interview him for an article, they are reinforcing the credibility of a man who has been proven by researchers and scientists to be a complete and utter fraud. Uh, and so no one else seems to have the knowledge or the, the wherewithal to continue to point out that we have to make sure that, that we're correcting the record. Um, the NRA has had a 30 year head start in spreading misinformation and, and doubling down on lies and, making arguments that are facetious. And if the media isn't going to call them out, it's really up to me and others who know when they're wrong. You do a really nice job of what I like to kind of joke around with my friends and, and colleagues. If they you know, say something or they make fun of me or tease me or something like that, I say, oh, that's, that's fine. That's fine. We keep detailed files. And I, <laughs> I, I feel like you keep very detailed files. <laughs> I do. The, I also get the sense though, because obviously your social media feed is is a must follow. I get the sense that you're starting to not just drive ahead on this issue, you're starting to wade out into some other into some other places that you're starting to test the waters on some other really important topics. Am I am I imagining this or are you sort of saying, "Look, I've I've got this locomotive now. Can I create another one? Do I need to create another one? Do I want to create another one?" You know, I don't know if it's creating another one, but I, you know, I, I'm a single issue voter, but I don't lead a single issue life. I don't think anyone does, especially after 2016. I had about 23,000 Twitter followers going into the election of 2016. And I think it, that's because I stuck to stop talking points. I didn't really branch out into other topics. I didn't use my real voice. And I felt like I really had nothing left to lose after the election. And I would start talking about more things in a voice that was mine, but also because gun violence is intersectional and it touches so many different issues, particularly women's issues in this country. And when I started using my real voice on social media, you know, now I have something like 350,000 followers on Twitter and it made a real difference. And I also think you can't talk about gun violence without talking about racism or, um, male toxicity and violence against women. There's so many different things it touches. And it also helps bring women into the fold and they see themselves. I just checked. You have greater than 350,000 followers on Twitter. <laughs> and that's a meteoric rise. And I think that that's, I, I like this idea of being a single issue voter, but not leading a single issue life. And I'm actually really excited to see what happens because you are so good at the sort of call and response on social media, right? You, you, you're really good at either letting somebody land on their own sword. You're really good at bringing something out of the detailed files 
<laughs> you're also really good at absorbing punches and not getting in the dirt, which is clearly what they want you to do. Cause then they can say, well, you're just doing the same thing and you don't do that. You stay above the fray. It's going to be really interesting to see you wade into some of these other issues and who comes to that because then they'll learn about mom's demand action. They'll learn about your incredible book, fight like a mother. These things are all, they move in series and they move in parallel. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was at a book event the other day and someone came up to me and they said, the reason they got involved in mom's demand action was because of a tweet I had sent out when I was at the airport that United Airlines was, was not allowing some women to board who were wearing leggings because of their dress code. And it went viral and, and um, got a lot of media attention, but you never know what's going to bring someone into the fold. Are you, are you aware of that fact more than, more than ever? Just recognizing that there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different tools now that can draw somebody into the fold of the work that you're doing. Yeah, you know, social media is such um, a benefit for organizing. And I always wonder how Mothers Against Drunk Driving did it. I mean, in the 80s, yeah, did they like drive to each other's homes? Did they call each other on the phone? I mean, did they send letters? I have no idea how they made all that happen in under 20 years. I remember some um, ads on TV. I remember the bumper I stickers. I do too. Yeah. But I also remember bumper stickers. I remember yep. the bumper sticker with like the broken martini glass with the seatbelt across yes. it. Does that sound right? Yes. That's exactly right. We actually hired the 15-year CEO of Mothers Against Drunk Driving last year oh, wow. to help us manage our, our organizing efforts. And I there's so many synergies, but I, I really do – I, I'm in awe of the power of social media. We started on Facebook as an organization. We use Facebook to organize privately and publicly. Um, and we use all of these social media tools. Obviously, Instagram is up and coming in terms of storytelling. And we we make it a priority to invest in technology and to make sure we're evolving with it. I like that even though you see that future and you are really good at social media, when it came time to put all of what you've learned to put all those messages and lessons and ideals into one place where we could consume it at a go. You went back to, you went back to print and you created this incredible book, fight like a mother. Do you think you'll always go back to print because that's how we all grew up? Or do you think that someday when you're doing your storytelling that we're not going to be doing it in a book form? I can't imagine there will ever be a time when we don't have books. I can remember everyone said the bookstore was dead when the yeah. Kindle came out and, and the absolute opposite has happened, you know, yes. because of there, there's so many new flourishing indie bookstores. So I think that will always be an important part of this, but you know, I really wanted it to be three things. One is part memoir. What, what was it like to go from being a stay at home mom to the tip of the spear on such a volatile issue? Um, I wanted to, to be part manual. I had all this stuff in my head and I'm always being asked, you know, how did you do this? How did you create not only the largest gun violence prevention movement in the country, but the largest, one of the largest grassroots organizations, period. And I, it was so important to go back and remember that history and get it down. Um, and then also part manifesto. I want women to take the tools that they've learned at Moms Demand Action and move from shaping policy to actually making it as lawmakers. I mean, I think that's such a big part of the future of, of this issue, which is to have gun sense lawmakers in office. And, and why not have those be the, the women who cut their teeth at Moms Demand Action? 
Can I, so I'm a history major. I got my degree in history at UCLA. Can I, can I frame this from a historical perspective and get your response? Okay. What you just said, Moms Demand Action is one of the largest grassroots organizations ever. Do you remember, go, we go back to school in our history books, we would read about these sorts of things. We would read about the progressive movement. We would read about all these different things. We would read around the anti-slavery movement. You're one of those now. Mm. You know, I, I appreciate that. I, I would be nothing if it weren't for this army of women that points me in the right direction every single day. You know, it is so amazing to me that these women wake up, mostly women, but obviously mothers and others, but they wake up every day and they figure out how to carve an hour or two or more to fight for the lives of complete strangers. And they're all heroes. They all decided, and and look, it's not just school shootings and mass shootings. It's the daily gun violence. It's gun homicides in city centers. It's uh, gun suicides in rural communities. It's unintentional shootings. And all of it matters. And it is, to me, so incredibly heroic that average Americans, gun violence survivors, wake up every day and and fight the good fight. And they, they should go down in history books. You've said a couple of times since we've been talking that right now Moms Demand Action is primarily mothers, but you want it to become mothers and others. I'm an other in this category. I'm a male. Yes. I'm I'm in. How do Yay. we what happens and how do we expand that portfolio so that the name doesn't need to change? We don't want yep. it to change, but how do we yep. make it where it's everybody in the pool? And we're seeing more and more of that. So when uh Parkland happened, the the horrific shooting tragedy in Florida, we tripled in size. Wow. Which we were already quite large, but we had built this machinery on the ground, this organizing machinery that could absorb quickly all of these new volunteers and then parlay that newfound size into political power. And the more that we have a high profile and become a political powerhouse, the more people who want to get involved. And there's nothing that makes me happier than Republicans who wear Moms Demand Action shirts and men who wear Moms Demand Action shirts and non-moms because this is an important movement. This is an important coalition. It's letting women lead because we only make up about 80% or we only make up about 20% of state lawmakers. We only make up about 25% of federal lawmakers, only about 5% of Fortune 1000 CEOs. So we should have a seat at the table and this is how we can lead. But, but that, that men and others would follow is, is so important. I have one of those t-shirts. My wife has one, my son has one and <laughs> we want to kind of grow it from there for sure. You've, it's clear the amount of energy and enthusiasm and vigor that you pour into this. And I'll circle back to one of our earlier questions, this idea of, are you nearing the apex? Are you just starting? In terms of the personal journey for you, where are your own resources around doing this? Because it's hard. You travel, you speak, you take criticism. And as tough as you are, I imagine sometimes those sting a little bit or a lot. <laughs> where are you on the personal journey? Because we need you for a long fight. You said this is a couple of election cycles still to go at a minimum. And we need Shannon Watts. <laughs> well, you know, I... I am a full-time volunteer and I have been now for nearly seven years. And I, I feel just as strongly and passionately about passionately about this work as I ever have. Uh, It's an honor to do it. um, But certainly self-care is a big part of, of being an activist. I say often that 
doing gun violence prevention is a marathon, not a sprint, but it's also a relay race. You have to be able to pass the baton when you need to, to other people trust that you can take a break. You can prioritize other things that are going on in your life that need your attention and that the work will be there when you get back. And I talk in my book about how I've had to do that. You know, my, my daughter developed an eating disorder when she was in college and she needed me. And I was not um, as involved as I had been for, for a while on and off because I, my daughter needed my attention. But that, that is at the core of this work, creating a structure that allows that, but also encouraging women to do it. I think women are perfectionists. I think we feel guilty when we step out and, and give our work to someone else, or even sometimes we think we can do it the very best uh, and want to own it. And so we really do encourage people to engage in self-care. And you know, I, every single day I go running and uh, I go biking and I hike. And I take vacations as often as I possibly can. And all of those things help recharge me. I will invite you as you're doing your work and as you're paddling out into different waters and testing different waters, that message that you just described, the medical community needs that. And you will be welcome amongst us to come and talk with our trainees, to come and talk with me and and my (laughs) colleagues, because we need that. And that's an interesting reflection on what you've learned from all of this. And as you expand your own portfolio and create new movements, you're welcome in the healthcare world if you have the time and the bandwidth. Yeah, you all are always burning it at both ends, for sure. You mentioned that there are lots of other places and that you try to pass the baton. Who are other people that we can look to, read about, follow, learn from that you find meaningful? You know, someone that I admire very much is Lucy McBath. Uh, Lucy was a Moms Demand Action volunteer. Her son, Jordan Davis, was shot and killed just a month before the Sandy Hook shooting. Um, He was a black teen who uh, a white-armed man said his music was too loud, opened fire in a gas station, and and killed Jordan. And Lucy became an activist with Moms Demand Action. And every time we would talk, I would say, when are you going to run for office? And I was thinking, honestly, like state house. And then one day when I asked that, she said, I I actually am thinking about running. And and she decided to run for Congress. And because she had the support of this army of women across the country, uh, she won. She won a seat held by Republicans for 30 years, Newt Gingrich's old seat, and she's now a congresswoman. And there's so many stories like that. And I tell them in my book, Um, she certainly inspires me. I'm inspired by Brittany Packnett, who was involved in... um, the backlash after the Ferguson shooting and has become an amazing activist at a national level. Uh, And there's so many people who, who you can follow and and learn from uh, online and off. We're all inspired by you. How do people who are hearing this show for the first time or learning about you or just starting to get familiar with you and moms demand action? How do they find you? How do they find moms demand action? I am at uh, Shannon R Watts. That's my handle on both. Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can find my Facebook page as well. Um, if you go to fightlikeamother.org, you can find out where I'm going to be speaking or buy a book. Proceeds go to gun violence prevention organizations. And Moms Demand Action can be found at the handle at Moms Demand on both Twitter and Instagram. And what I think is really great about our social media on Facebook is that we have a local page for every state. So you can find out what's happening near you. 
But the best way to get involved quickly is to text the word READY to 64433, and you'll get a call back from a volunteer very quickly and tell you how to get involved where you live. That is really wonderful. One of my friends texted me the other day to say that she was at her first Moms Demand Action meeting in Seattle, Washington, and, and that was- Oh, I love it. Yeah. That was really, really exciting for me, and I wanted to pass that on to you. The book is awesome. I have it. You were kind enough to sign it, and you inscribed it to my son, which was so cool. So <laughs> he's not quite old enough yet, but one day he'll have that book, and it'll say his name in it, and that's going to be – I'm excited for that moment. Shannon, uh, this well, was – we're so grateful to have you in our coalition. We really are. I, I appreciate that. It, it's it's a, a pleasure and an honor to be on this journey this was amazing. I, I, I really appreciate you taking time to, to speak with us. Your schedule, I can only imagine what it looks like. So the fact that you would take some time out to, to come on Explore the Space and speak with us is, is a real honor and a privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.